John chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verse 30 through 47. I'm going to be honest with you this morning. This sermon, I'm going to kind of go after the conservatives in the room. And I know that's pretty much all of us, including, <laughs> including myself. I identify as a conservative Christian. It won't surprise you at all that I call myself that. But in our text today, Jesus kind of messes up the hair of the conservatives, the Jews of his day. And he kind of steps on their toes and gives them a bit of a shove. But he does it for a very important reason, as you'll see in the text in just a moment. It says that you might be saved. In other words, this is a big deal. This is a matter of salvation. I'm going to say some things in this sermon that might be a bit challenging to you, but I want you to bear with me and hear Jesus out as Jesus himself explains what he means. I'm going to say things like, hear me closely, the scriptures are not the truth, Jesus is. At certain points, I'm going to sound like a liberal who's kind of giving up conservative ground, but rest assured, my ultimate commitment is actually to Christ. It's, it's not to conservatism, it's not to liberalism, but Jesus alone. And my hope in this sermon is actually for you to be able to say the same thing by the end of this, that Jesus is ultimately who we put our faith and our trust in, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father but by him. That, that simple belief. So our text, again, is John chapter 5, verse 30 through 47. These are the words of God. Let's give attention to them this morning. Jesus says this. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he's borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things that you might be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you've never heard, his form you've never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I've come in the Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There's another who accuses you. Moses, on whom you've set your hope. If you have believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But you do not believe his writings. How will you believe my words? The word of God for his people. Let's pray. Father, as I approach your word, I want to approach it rightly. And before I can do that, Lord, I need to do as I do every week and Pray that your Holy Spirit will be upon the reading of this text. Lord, I ask that you would illuminate it, 
by the power of your spirit, with your word and your spirit coming together, speaking to me, speaking to every person in this room. And Lord, we pray that you would convict our hearts of the ways that we have thought wrongly about you and about your word and show us the true light. Show us the truth, Jesus. Help us to rest our mind and our hearts, all that we are on him this morning and humble reliance on him and what he's trying to speak to us. We submit to you this morning, Lord, and we pray that you would glorify your son through my words. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus. And amen. amen. So I want to kind of give you a flow of the argument. Sometimes when we read the words of Jesus, it almost kind of just seems like a, a bunch of facts. Like he just says a bunch of disjointed things, and we're supposed to somehow synthesize all this and figure out what his whole argument really is. What is he even saying? It just, it just kind of seems like he's just saying a bunch of random stuff. But I want to kind of help you think through this. So Jesus starts out by showing all the witnesses he has to his messiahship. He kind of goes through the list. And, and how they're all apparently, though, disregarded by the Jews. They don't care about the witnesses. He gives this five-fold witness that includes the Father. And you'll see that in verse 32 and 37. He talks about John the Baptist being a witness in verse 33. We've talked about this in past sermons. He talks about his own works being a witness to who he is in verse 36. And he gives scripture as a witness to who he is in verse 39. And finally, he says Moses is a witness in verse 46. So you have this fivefold witness that Jesus is saying, here you go. I've, I've got witnesses all around me, and yet you still don't care. And his point here is to show that the Jews have misunderstood all of these witnesses and somehow twisted their message to what they wanted to hear, not what was actually said. Right? They had the witnesses, they read them, they heard them, they even listened to them in some sense, but they twisted what they had heard to what they wanted to hear, not to what was actually said. If they had understood the witnesses rightly, they would have received Jesus and his works. Right? It would have been an easy-peasy, no thing. Like All the scriptures prophesied that this one would come, and here he is. But they weren't having Jesus. So Jesus, as usual, kind of presses them. He wants them to believe. So, so what he does is he presses them, and his reason for pressing them on this matter is given in verse 34. His whole reason, I want you to hear the heart of Jesus. It says that he said these things that they might be saved. So Jesus isn't stepping on toes just to make people aggravated. He says it so that he might press them that they might be saved, to press it, pressing them to belief. In other words, this is a point of uh, and a matter of spiritual life and death. It actually matters how we think about this. And Jesus is offering them life and he's offering you life by showing them the truth of Scripture, which is in himself. He wants them to see Jesus is the truth of Scripture. So we have a couple problems as we, as we look at this passage. The two problems that I want to talk about this morning is an idolatry problem and a false gospel problem. You've probably seen this through the liturgy already. There's kind of these, this theme of idolatry. And really this is an ancient Jewish problem. We've, we've had a problem of idolatry all through the history of Israel. And God's been uh, – he's forbid idol worship and says don't do it. And all through history uh, you see Israel always keeps slipping back into it. Right? They, they, they're doing things like hiding idols in their saddlebags as they're moving from one place to the other. They're, they're taking all their gold earrings and all their precious metals and melting them down and making a calf out of them. And saying, this is, the, this is God. We're going to worship God in this way and through this. And there's all kinds of idol cherishing. For some reason, humans want to put their hands on something and say, this is it. Right? And that's the problem is that we stop there and say, this is it. And we, we don't see what this it should be pointing to. Right? So God forbid this practice because it became very hard for the Israelites to distinguish the true God from the idol. 
Right? They weren't able to distinguish the two. They crafted the idol thinking, well, I'm going to worship God through this. I'm going to look at this calf and it's going to remind me of God. Or I'm going to look at this and it's going to remind me of who the true father is. But what it ended up happening is they ended up worshiping it rather than God. That was the problem. It stopped at the idol and then they ended up worshiping deaf idols and becoming deaf. They became like what they worshiped. Right, so that's the the Jewish problem. And then you go to Jesus's day. Jesus's day, um, they they're still having the same kind of problems, but it's in a, a lot more sneaky way. There's a lot of religious conservatives around, and they are still dealing with this problem. But it's not in the kind of little hiding the the idol in my my saddlebag issue. It's it's deeper than that. And the central point of contention that I'd like to focus on in this passage is is in verse 37 to 40. I'm going to read it again, and I want you to see, especially verse 39. That is the big problem. Verse 37 says this, and the father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you've never heard, his form you've never seen. Now I want to stop there and just let you think about how insulting that would have been to a Jew. These religious people, this man comes up and says, you've never seen the father. You've never seen this guy that's in this book that you read all the time. You've never seen his form. You've never heard his word. You don't know anything about him. Let's keep reading verse 38. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he sent. Wow. Think of the Psalms where David is praying that he might have his word hid in his heart, that he might not sin against God. Think about that. That's the prayers that they would have prayed. Lord, I want your word to abide in my heart that I might not sin against you. And Jesus says, you've never done that. You've never had God in your heart. Verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you might have life. Now, why was this a problem? That they were searching the scriptures for, for eternal life. Now, we should first note that there was uh, that this wasn't actually a problem that they were searching the scriptures, right? It wasn't uh, that, that they shouldn't look in the Bible. That, that wasn't an issue. Scripture itself tells us all over the place we should be searching the scriptures. Paul tells Timothy that it's profitable for teaching, for instruction, for, for righteousness even. Right. So this is something that we should be digging into. Luke praises in the New Testament in Acts. He praises the Bereans because it says that they examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They were noble Bereans, it says. So we might switch that word examining to searching. They were searching the scriptures. They were doing what they should have been doing. Jesus he knew the scriptures like the back of his hand. He's quoting them all the time. So it's not that searching the scriptures was a bad thing. This is actually a good thing. It was a problem for the Jews because they were trying to become wise for salvation through faith in the scriptures themselves. Right? Do you see the distinction? They were looking at the scriptures to bring them life and salvation. And that's not the point of scripture. What they were doing is they were receiving the Torah as a way of being saved. Think about that. They believed if you followed the scriptures, the, the, the holy uh, writings of the prophets and the, the people of Mo, like Moses, and Isaiah, the prophets, uh, they believed that if you followed the scriptures, you could by grace, they did believe in grace, by grace you could be saved. But the salvation was ultimately wrapped up in the method of salvation, not a savior figure. They weren't so much looking for someone to save them. They were looking to the scriptures to save themselves. We, we live this way, this is our people, and we just live this way, and God will save us by grace because I'm just part of that clan. I'm, I'm an Israelite, so God will save me, right? And this was the problem. This was an idol problem. And you might say, well, how is this idolatry? Well, any time you exchange the glory of created things with the glory of the creator, you commit idolatry. 
So if you're giving glory to the Bible to save you, then that's idolatry. If you worship the created rather than the creator, you've placed your faith in something that doesn't have the power to save. So they're searching for eternal life, for salvation in a place that can't give it to them. And there's a difference between a good thing and a God thing. That's where idolatry starts to come in. Right? We look at a good thing like the Bible, the scriptures, and we say that's something to be worshipped. And that's the problem. It is good, but it's not good in the sense that we should worship it and give it the glory of salvation. That is something that God alone holds. Only God can save. So the problem with the Jews was not that they searched the scriptures. Jesus, he would have applauded them for this. He would have said, very well, I'm glad that you're acquainted with the scriptures. Jesus searched the scriptures diligently. Um, and, and, but his thing was, is Jesus knew where the scriptures were pointing. And that's the whole point that I want you to hear this morning, is that the scriptures are a witness to Christ. They point to Jesus. The scriptures were pointers just like John the Baptist was a pointer. Remember we've talked about that? John the Baptist wasn't the point. He was the pointer. The scriptures were not the point. They were pointers. The scriptures are not the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. They point to the light of the world. So they pointed to the Messiah, and he is the point. And here is the perennial problem that I'm getting at and why I said that I'm going after the conservatives in the room. Because conservatives... My dad looks up right then. It's really funny. (laughs) The conservatives... Uh, have a problem of not believing that Scripture witnesses to the truth. It is not the truth. And there's a difference in that. Do you see the, the difference? Scripture witnesses to the truth. It is not the truth, capital T truth. And Scripture is only true insofar as it witnesses to the truth. And this is important to understand. Do you see the difference? The, the Jews thought that Scripture was the capital T truth, and it was ultimately Jesus who is the capital T truth that became the stumbling block. Right? They said, we have the Bible. That's true. And the problem was is what they meant by the Bible and what they meant by the Scriptures is my interpretation of the scriptures. And this is the way that it starts to become idolatry, right? So this is why Peter says, to you who believe, then this is a stone, speaking of Jesus. Jesus is, a, the stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, like they're tripping over it, a rock of offense, it says. They stumble because they disobey the word. Interesting the, the language that Peter uses there. They disobey the word. They're disobeying Jesus, and they're also disobeying the scriptures. In other words, the Jews were building up a religion in the name of God. Right? They're thinking, we're doing God a favor. We're doing what we should be doing. We're, we're following God's scriptures. And when it came to lay the most important stone, the foundational stone, they said, throw it out. It's no good. We don't want that one. We 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 got to stay true to the blueprint, guys. We got to stay stick to the plan. The problem was is that they were misreading the whole plan. They were idolizing their idea of the plan rather than what God was actually trying to do. And all through history, you see they're trying to build up the plan, right? They're trying to build up Judaism, and they're never going to do it. They're trying to build another temple. They're trying to 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 build the house of God, and they will not ever do it because you can't build it when you miss the cornerstone. The foundational piece, the thing that makes the whole thing stand, Jesus Christ, they've thrown it out. And anytime we do that, we will always fall as well. So that's their problem. Now let's think about our problem. Let's bring this close to home. Many of you are probably thinking, well, that's just a Jewish thing. We don't have idols in our uh, in our camps anymore. We're Christians now, right? We've, we've moved past idolatry. Well, it's been said before that evangelicals believe in the Holy Trinity. Have you heard this before? God the Father. 
God the Son, God the Holy Bible, right? <laughs> We've been accused of this before, right? We kind of chuckle at this, but we chuckle, but there's, been, there's a kernel of truth there, isn't there? Many times we, we kind of throw out the Holy Spirit and we let the Bible be our rule and our guide. And we should actually be keeping the Spirit as our rule and our guide. We worship the Spirit rather than just the Bible and our interpretation of the Bible. We can really start to idolize the Bible when, our, when we worship our interpretation of the Scripture rather than the person uh, that the Scripture is always pointing to, namely Jesus. When we idolize the Bible, we miss when Jesus steps on our toes because we don't ever let him step on our toes. We read it wrong. We, we skip those verses. We don't want to read those verses. We don't want to confront that truth because that's Jesus trying to tell us that we need to change. So we just want to stick to our own understanding and elevate Scripture in, in many ways to, to the level of God and say, well, that's God, and I'm just going to obey God. But what we really mean is I'm going to obey my understanding of Scripture, and I'm not going to change. So we look down our noses a bit at the Jews, but many times conservatives will be so dedicated to the Scriptures and their interpretation of the Scriptures that they miss the whole point of Jesus confronting us and our own sins. Now, I want you to think about this. When you read the Bible, when you're going through your morning devotions, you get your cup of coffee and you're sitting down in your comfy chair and you're cracking open your psalms or wherever you're at. When you do that, does that become a practice where you're getting more and more comfortable or are you actually confronting Jesus there sometimes who is stepping on your toes? Does sometimes do you sit down and you feel a little bit less comfortable after you open the words of God? That's what should be happening, right? Every time we open our Bible, it shouldn't make us feel better about ourselves because we're so awesome. It actually should reveal things in your own heart, right? But that's, there's a way of reading the scriptures to where we think, ah, oh, I've got the book. I'm holy now that I've opened it. I've done all I need to do. I've got the words before me. I've got salvation. My coffee's great. My chair is comfortable. And I'm a Christian, so there's nothing else to do, right? But, but we get guilty of this. We do this all the time. I've done it in my own life. That, that morning devotion can become this mantra of just self-help. Where we're just thinking, I've got it all, and Jesus will help me along the way, but I pretty much got it on my own. So we need to be careful that we don't idolize the Bible and thinking that that's giving us salvation. We have to put our ultimate faith in Jesus, who this points to. If you miss Jesus, you miss the whole point there. So many of us, many of you, know the scriptures forward and backwards. But if Jesus were in the room, he would say, how does your conservative ideology align with who I am and what I'm doing? Those are the kind of questions that you should be asking, the uncomfortable questions. We don't want to ask that, but the reality is, is that Jesus should be asking those things to you. If you're, if you're reading it rightly, it's going to happen. Now, I say all that not to, to shame the conservatives or the, the biblicists in the room. I, I'm a conservative person. I, can, I consider myself a conservative Christian, but I, I believe in the infallibility of Scripture, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, my loyalty has to be to Jesus. It can't be to, to the conservative party or the liberal party. And I, I'm happy to let Jesus step on my toes and tell me, Mason, you're wrong. You're just flat wrong. I know you think you're right because you're on that party. You're on that side. and That's what all they, they're all doing it right now. And yes, that's the mantra of the, the age, but you're wrong if you're on that, on that side. And if you go to the other side, you might be wrong too. And ultimately, you have to pick the man in the middle that says everyone's wrong at the end of the day. And there's only one person that's absolutely, ultimately true. And it's me, Jesus. That's the place that you need to be. I want him to be not a, a stumbling stock, a, a stumbling stone and, and a rock of offense. I want him to be a bedrock of faith for you. To say, this is where I'm at. This is where I'm going to stand. But if you look at the church 
it's mostly in our pockets. If you go to the greater church, it's not necessarily this, but I'm preaching to you guys this morning. So I want want to be on your level. But we do have a a current generation, especially in kind of um, Bible Belt Christianity. We have a generation of people who've been so committed to conservative Christianity that they've sometimes forgotten that conservatism is not the point. It really isn't. Fundamentalism... I, I have mixed feelings about that word, so I, I honor it in, in some sense. I love fundamentalism on one on the one hand, and other times I don't. But fundamental, fundamentalism, uh, while it has held the line on conservative Christianity, it sometimes lost sight of the whole point. Right? It misses it. If the infallibility of Scripture becomes the the point instead of Jesus being point, uh, the point we've lost sight of the the the, the essential meaning of Christianity. Right? The standard of being a Christian is not how close you confess to believe in the infallibility of Scripture. It's actually not. Jesus is. Your faith in Jesus is what makes you a Christian, not how close or far you are to some standard that religious conservative Christianity has put on trust in the Bible. We are not Biblians. We're Christians, right? So, so we be, yes, we believe in the Bible. I'm not trying to sow any doubt on Scripture. I believe this is inspired. I believe it's what God says, and it is for you, and it is for you to be able to see Jesus through it, but it's not the point. It's a lens through which we see clearly. It's what brightens our day. It's what, it's what helps us to see the light of the world. So your hope must ultimately be placed in the person of Jesus, not just what the prophets have said about him. You believe in Jesus for salvation, not Moses, not David, not Isaiah, not Jeremiah, not even Paul. Think about the the way that Paul approaches this. When Paul is talking about the baptism, which in many ways is closely related to salvation, right? Baptism now saves you, he says in one place, or Peter says in place. So Paul even says that it wasn't into Paul or Apollos that you were baptized or that you were saved, but these are servants through whom, we might say witnesses through whom you believed. Right? They, they are what led you to Christ himself. So your faith must ultimately, ultimately run through the witnesses into Christ himself, or you're missing the whole point. And we do this with scripture. When you read it, you read through these words to Jesus. Because if you get hung up on the words, you might end up like the Jews and say, this is my understanding, and I can't get past it. Right? You see the difference? You have to be able to see through what it's actually pointing to, the, the, the true meaning. And this is what it means to be a Christian, to see through all the world and point it all back to Christ. How Christ is the meaning of everything, how he is the light of the world. Your loyalty cannot be to conservatism, to biblicism, to tradition, or any man-established religion. It has to be ultimately to Christ. Right? Jesus is your savior. Republicanism is not your savior. Right? It, it, it isn't. That's just the truth of it. And sometimes we can get into these circles where we think, well, if we just agree with the party, if we just agree with this, then we're good. But that's not the truth. And it's not even that the church is uh, what saves you. You can be in the church all your life and say, well, I'm a Christian because I go to church every week. No, you have to have a, a living faith with Jesus. You have to be able to see through what you're doing, through your worship, through your liturgy. All of it has to see through it to the point, which is Jesus. So Bible idolatry, when it really comes down to it, it looks like arguing with Jesus about Scripture, which we would never do if he was standing in front of us. But when we read Scripture, we should kind of place Jesus right there, shouldn't we? Jesus should be there confronting us. It's it's allowing your interpretation of Scripture to hold the the highest authority of your life instead of Jesus. That's what Bible idolatry looks like. I'm, I'm not willing to let go of what I believe this has to say, even though I know Jesus. I can feel it right here that Jesus is saying, nope, that's not it. That's not it. I know you're reading it that way, and I know lots of other people even read it that way, but that's not it. That's not what I'm saying. That's what Bible idolatry looks like. 
And it creeps up in, in subtle ways. It's when you're reading scripture uh, that you know is there and you're unwilling to actually let it press you to practice. Right? There, there's all these scriptures. You have a scripture over here that you say is true. And the reality is, is there's a liberal uh, for every conservative in, in this room. Uh, there's a liberal with the scripture, too. What we need to do is realize that it's not a matter of liberal uh, Christianity or conservative Christianity. And we need to quit cherry picking verses because everyone has their verse. What we need to do is realize that Jesus is the one that actually grabs all the verses and brings them all together and says, if you just looked at the whole picture, which is me, you'd realize that these actually come together. And you wouldn't have this tension all the time where you're feeling like you're fighting over here. But when you have the, the liberals on this side, they're fighting for justice, social justice, social this and that. And the, the conservatives over here, we're on, we want the moral stuff. We want the moral things over here. Uh, get rid of abortion. Get rid of uh, homosexuality. Get rid of all this. And if you realize that Jesus is here standing in the middle and saying, guys, you got holes over here. you got holes over here. What you really need to do is just read this through the lens of me. And you'll realize how actually this all comes together. right? You shouldn't be so disjointed all the time. You should come together in the person of Jesus. That's what it means to be able to read Scripture rightly, to be able to see through what it's saying to Jesus himself. Otherwise, we're going to get hung up on our verses just like each party does. That's what parties do. Every heretic has their verse is what uh, many people say. If you, if you look back to history, they all have a verse. But the problem is that they're reading it wrong. They're not reading it through the lens of Jesus. So that's the idolatry problem. Now, I said we have a gospel problem, too. Why is this a, a, an issue of what the good news is? Well, the Jewish problem was uh, that they followed the letter of the scriptures to find life. We heard this distinction before, the letter and the spirit. It says in verse 39 that they searched the scriptures because they thought that in them uh, was eternal life. They thought that if I just read the word, if I read the letter, if I get it and just read it and live by it, I can do it. I can live this way. And what Jesus is getting at is that the Jews allowed the Torah to be a way of living. Right? He, he wants them to confront the reality that they, they received that as the way. Who's the way? Jesus is the way. Who's the truth? Jesus is. Who's the life? Jesus is. What were the Jews saying? The Jews were saying the scriptures are our way of living. Right? The, the scriptures are our way of life. We submerge ourselves in the scriptures in the Bible. The, the scriptures are where it's at. They are the truth. But who's the truth? Jesus is the truth. They're pointing to something, and they missed it because they're so tied up on their understanding of it. They believed that God would save them according to their tradition. We're, we're in the camp. They didn't even reject salvation by grace alone. They believed in grace alone, just like we did. They believed in salvation by faith alone. The problem was is that they put their faith alone in the wrong place, right? And we could do that too. It wasn't rooted in the personhood of God. It was rooted in their way of living. They were wooden literalists at many points, and they were unable to see where the spirit of the scriptures was pointing. Now, I want you to catch this, church. They missed the Messiah not because they were unprincipled in searching the scriptures. To the contrary, they were too principled that they missed the whole point. They were so rigid and stuck on their ways that they missed where the spirit was trying to lead them. If the methods are the point and not the pointer, we have a problem, right? And the methods are what it's all about. That's why we're not Methodists. The, the, the Bible is, is the way, the truth, and the life is a wrong statement, right? The Bible is not the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is, and this is why the Jews missed it all, especially the healing on the Sabbath. Right? We've been talking about that. How Jesus did a really great thing. He healed a man on the Sabbath. And what did the Jews say? The letter of the law says you broke it. Right? Because they missed it. They missed where the spirit of the Sabbath was actually pointing, which is rest, healing, restoration. And they said, no, 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 but it says you can't work because they were so stuck. They were so principled that they said, no, there's no wiggle room. 
Right? We are, we are wooden literalists. We cons- we're conservatives, and we're not going to give up the line on this. If we give up the line, then who knows what's going to happen next? What kind of craziness is going to slip into the, the camp? Right? That's the kind of thing that they were probably saying. We've got to draw the line. This is the Jews who are confronted by Jesus, and he's saying this that they might be saved. So what this ultimately comes down to is it's not just an idolatry problem. It's a gospel problem. Who or what is offering life? Where are you getting your life from? If we believe the gospel is a set of rules to live by, we have horribly misunderstood God's plan of salvation. If you think that's what the Bible is saying, just if you read this, then you'll be good. If you just follow what it says, you'll be good. That's actually not the message of the Bible. That's not the good news. The good news is not, here's the rules. If you live by it, you'll, you'll be great. That's actually bad news. Why? Because all of you have missed it. Right? You, you've all broken the rules. Sir Edwin Hoskins writes uh, of the law of Moses, the way that we think about the law. He says, the law of Moses is not a religion of salvation. It's a categorical imperative of God by which men are accused and exposed as sinners. In other words, when you read the Bible, you should realize that there's a problem. You shouldn't realize that you are the solution. You are the problem. Had the Jews truly understood what God was doing through the witness of the scriptures, they would have seen that the law stopped every mouth and rendered them guilty before God and in need of a savior. They would have seen Jesus and said, thank God he's finally here. He's finally come. I need this guy. What do they actually say? I think you're, you're breaking the rules, Jesus. You don't fit my box. We've read the Bible, and I don't think you're it. And we can do this in our practice too, right? We misunderstand what's right in front of our face sometimes, where Jesus is trying to confront us, and we say, no, 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 this doesn't fit. Right? I've read my Bible. I've been a Christian for 25 years, however long, and you just don't fit. Sorry, God. We wouldn't say God. We'd say sorry, sorry, whatever that is. But what we would miss is that that's actually Jesus trying to confront us, and we can push him out. So our problem is we, we often don't think of it the way that the Jews did, but we, we can fall into the same kind of way of thinking like the Jews did. We rely so heavily on our tradition. Maybe it, it's conservative Christianity. Maybe it's republicanism. Who knows what it is? And we believe that the gospel is just about being on the right side. Right? I'm on this side. So I'm all good. I don't have to worry about it. And what we forget is that the Jews were using scripture and their tradition, conservative Judaism, to combat what Jesus was doing. And they were on the wrong side. Right? They thought because they had the book and because they had all the conservative backing behind them, we got it. We're good. But Jesus says, no, no, no. You've missed it. You've missed the whole point. And church, what ways have we done the same? This scripture is profitable for us today. So I want to use this book like it's meant to be used. And I want to throw it in your lap and say, what ways is Jesus speaking to you this morning to show you that we haven't always been right? Even though we think that our party is on the right side and what we're we're doing and the direction that we're going, there's many ways that we need to repent. And that's actually the right way to think about scripture and to think about Jesus. Have you placed your sense of assurance and hope more in your cozy tradition than you have in Christ? Right? Think about that. Do you feel more comfortable and at home reading a Fox News article than you do uh, in quotes where they're quoting scripture and you're thinking, well, they've got it right. Those liberals or when you're reading scripture and Jesus is starting to step on your toes a little bit. Right. We should be more at home with Jesus, allowing him to just step on our toes and go there. We shouldn't just run to the places that are echo chambers just telling us what we already think. Right. That's the problem. That was the problem with the Jews. They had a huge conservative backing behind them to say, nope, this is the way we've always read it. We've always read it this way. This guy can't fit. He doesn't fit our boxes. That's scary. 
Because you got it comes down to it. You you might be the one man, the one man that has to say, I think everyone else is wrong. I know it's everyone else, but I think Jesus is speaking to me in this. And that's what we're called to do. That's what it means to be a Christian, to, to give your allegiance only to Christ. When, when everyone around you might uh, betray you, when your whole party might betray you, and even the church that sometimes might betray you, because they could be wrong too. Guess what? The Jews were the church, right? They, they were the, the religious backing, and they were wrong. So what it comes down to is belief in Christ. What is your understanding of the gospel? Do you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life? It sounds so right, doesn't it? Do you search the scriptures because you think that you, in them you have eternal life? Or are you able to distinguish the witness of Christ from Christ himself? We don't search the scriptures because they save us. We search the scriptures because it points us to a savior that can save us. And that is a huge difference between the two. The central gospel issue is that there's a way of believing the scriptures present a pattern of living that will save us, not a person that will save us. Right? The pattern is what we trust in, and that's not actually the good news. That's the bad news, because if you try to live by that pattern right there, that's a really good pattern. It's a perfect pattern. You can't do it. It condemns you, and it it leaves you searching. It should leave you searching for a Savior that can save you, and that's the right way to read Scripture. When we we boil it all down, if you read it wrong, this can become a works-based salvation. It can, where you're just trying to save yourself, and that's not the gospel. The good news is not read everything in the Bible and just go live it out. The good news is that you read the Bible, you realize you can't do it, there's been a Savior that's presented to you that can save you, and you put your faith in Him, and He will save you, and then He will help you by the saving grace to carry it out. Right? There's a difference, and the difference is life and death. And that's why Jesus says these things in this text, that you might be saved. Because if you miss it, you won't be saved. That's the implication there. If, if Jesus thought that they were going to be saved either way, either way, then why would he have said that? Right? That's, that's the point. So when we, need to, when we read the scripture, we should be able to read it kind of like a mirror is what James says. It should reflect the things that we need to change. And the beautiful thing is, is that when we look in the mirror, we see the things that we need to change, but we also see the image of God. And we see Jesus and how he's already fulfilled the law for us. And that's our hope. Where you don't despair every time you look into the, the scriptures. You, you see conviction, but you also see hope. That's the beauty of scripture. So, so those, are the, those are the problems. And I'm going to close with just a short solution because it's really simple. It really is. We, we overcomplicate it a lot. So how do we avoid the error of the Jews, the, the conservatives of Jesus' day? Well, we do this by modeling Jesus' humility. It says in verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. Let me read it here. Verse 30, right where we started, Jesus starts everything that he's about to say about the witnesses by saying this. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So even Jesus says, I'm not, I'm just, I'm not after this just for what I want. I'm after what is actually being pointed to, which is the Father pointing to the Son. It's, it's weird to think about Jesus reading Scripture, but that's the reality. Jesus acts and everything that he does, he does not on his own. He does everything looking to the Father where the Father is pointing. So, so we start with the presupposition that we can do nothing on our own, including interpret Scripture. That's why I prayed right before I preached. I need the Spirit to help me. I can't do this on my own. I can't even read Scripture on my own. You need the Spirit to illuminate what is there. 
right? You need the spirit to come and make this alive for you, right? The, the, the word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. But there's a way of looking at this like the Jews did and being an unbelief and just hitting a wall. You're just reading the letter. You need the spirit to bring this alive to you, to actually point you where to, to, where to go. Because Jesus is the place that you need to go. The spirits who takes you to Jesus, shows you the text, convicts your heart. He, his, his truth is a witness in you that, that bears witness. You, you've heard that right in scripture. It bears witness in your soul. That's what the spirit does. So we need to start with the presupposition, even when we are in scripture, that we need help. That we can't do it on our own, just like Jesus does. Even Jesus says this. I do nothing on my own. We need that. So when we hear, we should judge like Jesus does, and we will know our judgment is just like Jesus does only when when we're seeking not our own will, but the will of him who sent us, which is Jesus. God has sent us. And what this means is we read scripture with a Christocentric interpretation. What does that mean? Big word. Christocentric. If Christ isn't the central, there's the centric. If Christ isn't the central point, you've missed the point. Right? If when you're reading the Bible and it has nothing to do with Jesus, it doesn't connect to Jesus at all, you're actually probably – you are reading it the wrong way. Because when Jesus is walking with people on the road to Emmaus, he, it says that he went and showed them the scriptures of how they all pointed to him, how he fulfilled it all. Jesus is the yes and amen to all the promises of God. Right? Jesus is the fulfillment of all scripture. And if you walk away saying when, – when you read the Bible, well, now I know how to be saved, and you aren't thinking of this is Christ saving me from – thinking I know how to be saved, then you've missed the point, right? We can't be walking away, patting ourselves on the back, thinking, I just got eternal life. I just did my daily devotion. No, no, no. You need a Savior. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. And we need to confront Jesus and let him confront us and let him step on our toes a little bit. Say, you're wrong. You think you're right. You've read this a million times. That verse, you've, you've skimmed over it literally every time you've read it before, but today. Today's the day, sir. Today's the day, ma'am, when we're actually going to confront the reality that you've been skimming over this, and you're not letting me speak to you here. Open up. It's time to change. That's the way that Jesus works this. And what can end up happening is that the scriptures can become the thing that we set our hope on, and the very thing that we set our hope on condemns us of idolatry. Right? We say, I believe it all, and it says, no, you don't. You don't believe it all. <laughs> and Jesus says in his closing statement today that he isn't going to accuse you. Why? Because Moses, the chief witness of the Old Testament, is going to accuse you. In other words, I'm not even going to say anything about you, how you're wrong. If you just read that, you'd realize that they're saying you're wrong. You're reading it wrong. And what we need to do is realize that the the witness will even condemn us sometimes. The witness that's supposed to point us to Christ, if we don't read it rightly, it says, I condemn you. You're wrong. You've missed the point and you've missed salvation. And that's why Jesus says these things, that you might be saved. So church, the charge is this. Keep scripture in its proper place or idolatry will creep up inside your heart. Keep Jesus in his proper place and salvation will well up inside your heart. It's that simple. Amen? Let's pray.